0: every time I fall flat on my head, inevitably are always the best things that ever happened to me because there's always a flip side if you hang in there.
1: Are you ready for the best real estate investing advice ever? Join Joe Fairless and today's best ever guests as they share it with you. It's the best ever advice with none of the fluff. Let's go. Are you having a hard time finding great investment properties? Unfortunately, the best deals are rarely found locally. Successful investing begins with the right properties in the right markets. Norada Real Estate provides everything you need to invest in the best deals across the US. Our simple proven system will help you create real wealth and passive monthly cash flow. Get your free copy of the ultimate guide to out-of-state real estate investing at noradarealestate.com slash guide. That's N-O-R-A-D-A realestate.com slash guide. Do you know how you can benefit from crowdfunding? If you haven't checked out our special series, Best Crowdfunding Crash Course Ever, presented by Patch of Land, then you need to. It's episodes 152, 159, 166, and 173, because you'll hear from the industry's leading crowdfunding experts on how you can benefit by getting involved, whether it's getting access to funds for your deal, or passively investing in other people's deals. The time is now to get started. Go to patchofland.com forward slash best ever to grab your copy of the top 10 answers to the top 10 crowdfunding questions. That's P-A-T-C-H-O-F-L-E-N-D.com forward slash best ever. Hi, best ever listeners. Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless, and I'm here with today's guest, Barbara Corcoran. Hi, Barbara. Hey, nice to be here, Joe. Nice to have you on the show, and Barbara's joining us from New York City, New
0: York. It's bitter cold here. We have no spring.
1: Oh, yeah, I know. I, I used to live in the East Village and uh, for 10 years, actually, and mm-hmm. it, it is very chilly there right now. Hope you had a good coat. <laughs> <laughs> Barbara is, as you all, I'm sure, are aware She is a shark investor on ABC's hit reality show, Shark Tank And the upcoming show called Beyond the Tank, which premieres May 1st She created the Corcoran Group, a New York residential real estate brokerage Which she sold in 2011 for $66 million. She started that with a $1,000 loan And she is also the founder of Barbara Corkin Venture Partners and non-real estate related, but very interesting about you, Barbara. She earned straight fees in high school and college. You're not bragging on me again, are you? (laughs) (laughs) We want to get all the good stuff out ahead of time, right? Okay, okay. And before she turned 23, she had 20 jobs. So with that being said, Barbara, can you give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on now?
0: Yeah, surely. Well, by way of background, I think I was very lucky. I was born into a family of 10 kids with a powerhouse mom, and she ran our household, two little bedrooms, like a boot camp. Uh, But uh, lucky for me, uh, my mom would have been a phenomenal businesswoman if she had chosen that path, which she didn't. Um, But uh, I learned everything about building a business through my mother, and that's the truth. Whatever she did in the household, I just did a dead ringer for it in building my business, and it seemed to work like a dream.
1: What are some things that that she taught you about building a business?
0: Well, she learned, uh, most importantly, overriding. A uh, lesson we learned is you don't have to be rich to be happy. Uh, you don't have to have the right stuff to be happy. So we really did with the smallest flat in town. Uh, and I credit my mother tremendously uh, with being a wonderful motivator and bringing out the best in each of our kids. She used to bring each child home from Holy Name Hospital. She was a devout Catholic, and she would bring that kid in the door and say, I want you to meet your brother Tommy. At his legs, for example, I remember with my, brother, my younger brother, At the time, I was old enough to remember these things, and she said, uh, he's going to be a magnificent dancer. And we went, wow, cool, a dancer in the family. But all that was based on, he had really short, chubby legs, and he kicked like hell. But what (laughs) did he do? He grew up to be a ballet dancer here in New York, Alvin Alley Dance Theater, which is no easy feat. And she seemed to have a knack for just pinning one label on each kid that was always positive and then making sure we performed that in the household. That was our job in essence. So we kind of felt like we grew up in a little town where we each had a role and it was a positive role and you felt both in that role. And I think we all carried that into adult life. We left uh, our home with the best because we all did one thing very, very well.
1: What was that label, the
0: positive label that she pinned on you? Oh, mine was very much in need because I was such a horrific student, and I remember um, not a, only pinning her on when I was a kid, which is Barbara Ann, you have a magnificent imagination. What an imagination! What an imagination! Now, as a grown-up and a parent myself, I realized she was conning me because my job in the family with seven or eight kids below me, whoever was born, okay, and in that clan, and she would take uh, those kids, give them all to me, and say, go. To basement and put on a Broadway show, you have a magnificent imagination. Or she'd tell me on a rainy day, or if the sun went out, she'd switch it off and she'd say, oh, go in the backyard and open up a rock store. And I'd say, what's a rock store? And she, oh, Barbara, with your imagination, you'll figure it out. And you want to know, I found out every kid in Edgewater would buy rocks if I stapled them in paper, if I stapled a corner so you didn't know what kind of rock you were getting, kind of like a grab bag. And they paid me a nickel a rock. So she just, uh, she just nailed it. But the best to she used that was when I was in third grade and I was reprimanded in school for always being stupid because I couldn't read or write. Well, I knew I couldn't read or write. You know what you're not good at when you're in school right away, right? But when my mother uh, took me uh, at the end of the day after Sister Stella Marie, the nun from hell, called her to tell her what was going on and she made me cry because I felt so ashamed reading out loud when I couldn't pronounce anything. My mother said, don't even worry about it. You have a wonderful imagination. You'll fill in all the blanks. Mm-hmm. So, so she just moved on and on and upward with each of us, and you know what? Even though, of course, with a lot of kids, if you're not a good kid in school or a good student, it's a horrific a jailhouse for a long time. Uh, it was offset so much by coming home at the end of the day and thinking I was amazing in my mother's eyes. <laughs>
1: so, yeah, she was the cat's meow. <laughs> When you approach business, do you approach it similarly where you identify, you kind of assess everything, but then you ultimately identify one aspect of Always. Oh the gosh. business?
0: Mm, not just the business. Uh, you know what that is called? It's probably a, uh, having a gut reaction to something, trusting it, and trying to pinpoint, you know, like what's the essence? What's the important thing here? Because there's so much information on people, circumstances, business, and you can get really caught up uh, in detail. So for me, um, that was really uh, probably the best gift my mother gave me. I think we all grew up um, just spotting good things in people. And so I would have a bookkeeper come in for a bookkeeping position, and it would not be unusual uh, for me to say, what are you doing bookkeeping for? You'd be a phenomenal salesperson. Why don't you work on a commission basis and set that person free? Because someone programmed them for a secure life as a bookkeeper, but the personality was amazing and the aggressiveness in that bookkeeper. So, so no, I was really good at uh, sizing somebody up fast and then building a job around them, you know, even though I might have had jobs to fill. If I saw a talent, whether it be an airline, uh, whether I was – I hired more people out of uh, – out of airplanes in the air, you know, phenomenal stewardess. My general sales manager that built uh, the whole company uh, and was in charge of two thousand people. And she just retired last year, so she was in charge of five thousand people when she retired. She was an airline stewardess, and I hired her on the basis that I saw her um, trying to appease a man in a coach seat who was complaining about his potatoes being cold. When we really used to get cooked potatoes, and she stood there and she said are these the potatoes? And the man said, yes, they are. And she just pointed her finger at the potatoes. She said, bad potatoes. Bad, bad, bad <laughs> potatoes. <laughs> I had her working for me within maybe two weeks. She quit her job. I thought she had confidence to actually pull that over the passenger, a sense of humor, people skills, had the whole thing. Rose around the guy, laughing like hell, and you fell in love with her. What a personality! And she was an airline stewardess, and she was going on forty, and she was a little burnt out on it. And she just happened to be on my flight, you know. (laughs) So no, getting getting just picking off great people and thinking, okay, how do I use them? uh, Is is a a wonderful gift to have a company where you could do that with, you know, where you have spots that you could create and so, no, that, that was the single best gift. I mean, I could go on and on for hours on my mother, of course. She had so many great talents, but uh, this was a key one I used in building the business and made it a very happy family, much like we were. We played together, we laughed together, we were ridiculous together, and um we were organized together. My mother was an organizational genius, I realize now. She ran the house like a boot camp. And uh, all we had to do is carry it forward into the world, and out of all my siblings, I have nine, all except my sister Ellen, who was a um, hospice nurse, um, which my mother told her, she, you'd make a wonderful nurse, by the way, she's a hospice nurse.
1: <laughs> <laughs> of course she did.
0: Yeah, of course, but each of my other siblings are in business for themselves, and I think it's because in building a business, use a very similar talent set, I think, and she sh- she just happened to chalk us all full before we left that house.
1: For someone who, it might not be natural for them to quickly assess and find the role and as you said, set the person free for what they ultimately are best suited for. Mm -hmm. Are there certain questions that we can ask, you know, because there's an intuitive nature to it, for sure. And you have that in spades. Definitely. But are there things that for someone who it isn't as intuitive for that they can ask to kind of assess that?
0: yeah you know I had uh, um, I call it a routine, uh, but of course, when you're working, uh, your, your best commodity is your time. so I had to create a lot of systems that got a lot done very quickly. And one of the interviewing uh, questions uh, or routines, I guess you'd call well, that sounds like it's a trick. I don't mean it that way, but, but the routine I used to size people up right away is I paid very, very close attention when they walked in to my office, what impression I had of them, the energy. You know, just I, I, I was alert. Not like so busy, glad, Haley. Nice of you to come in. A, I would just walk in, smile, how are you doing, and see what energy I would pick up. I was alert to that. You know, positive, negative, low energy, high energy. You feel that right away if you're paying attention. Uh, after that, uh, I would never look at the resume. I mean, you look at the resume, you're already pinholding that person in front of you. You're, you're t- discussing what they've done before. That could all be wrong. So why spend the time on that? I never opened the resume that I usually had in advance. Typically, they would hand me a resume, and I would just put it on my desk. Not look at it, and say. Well, first, tell me a little bit about yourself. You know, and what would I zero in on? All personal questions. Now, maybe that's not appropriate for every job situation, but I found people were flattered by personal questions. Where are you from? You yeah, have other siblings, yeah? Tell me about your mom. Tell me about your dad. You know, people will tell you. Um, it's there's so much gold in hearing about someone's background. The big Kahuna for sizing people up, trying to figure out where they would be most beneficial to my little world. I was attempting to build, is I would say to them, well, tell me, once I got to the resume, tell me about that last job. What did you like best about it? If you could pick one thing, what did you like best? What did you like least? How about the job before that? What did you like best? What did you like least? And believe it or not, if you have three jobs, you're going to come up with the same stuff that you're going to like the most and what you like the least. You know, they're, they're so related, what you enjoy in life and what you don't enjoy in life. And guess what? You always enjoy the stuff you do naturally better. If, you got, if it's a really hard thing to learn to do something well, uh, that's generally not where you're going to get your joy and satisfaction, nor will you excel in and so that's what I did. Like I did a good list, bad list a list on everybody. And then by then I'd have a real feel for the person. Uh, you know what I see? And I could see it. I could see them in a role. I could so see you in the marketing arena. I could see you, you know, with the aesthetic. Look at the way you dress. You'd be good at advertising. You know, just use all those cues. And then uh, what do you think? And it would be rare that someone wouldn't say, yeah, I could, I would probably like that. There you have it. You move them off the box, you've got them where you want to get them. And your business gets the benefit of getting a naturally talented person doing the job that comes
1: easy to them. You know, so much better. So much better. Barbara, what is your best real estate investing advice ever? No,
0: probably all the things I did wrong. You want the list of what not to do, I'm good at that, right? (laughs) I almost always buy at the high and sell at the low. You're not supposed to do that in real estate, right? But so life choices are, you have a baby, you're buying. (laughs) You need a better school district, you're moving out of town, you're selling, all right? So for me, I've had bad timing on buying high and uh, selling low. So don't listen to me and don't follow my lead on real estate, what I do personally. But I am great at giving advice to the next guy and making sure they do well. Why I can't apply it to myself, I'll never know. I know better, and yet I don't. It's say a couple of things uh, that I made whopper mistakes on. If you buy an investment property, the first one I bought, Lloyd's Motel in Dutchess County, New York, 12 hotel rooms, not well-maintained. I was going to fix them up, and I looked, what's the rent roll? What's the rent roll? I looked at the rent roll, knew what I could pay, made a great investment. The only problem was I should have said, "Can I see the rent receipts. Only one person had paid rent in the last 12 months. I had a loser and I couldn't evict the people because they're over in control in Dutchess County, which people don't even ever hear about. Okay, Um, On a positive side, uh, one of the best pieces of advice I got from a taxi driver was I was up in West Harlem. Maybe 10 years ago, sizing up buying two buildings, which I ultimately bought, a choppy neighborhood. Uh, but I felt things were rumbling or improve. I just saw signals. I said to the uh, cab driver as we're sitting out at these two row houses side by side, let me ask you something. You think this is a safe neighborhood? Like, you know, just for walking around? I wasn't sure. And he pointed to Broadway. said, sure, if it wasn't safe, they wouldn't be sitting there. And I'm like, he's right about that. Mm. <laughs> I got another great piece. People- of advice that I used probably to buy probably at least a dozen buildings in up-and-coming areas. I learned it from a gay waiter. I was downtown in some hip place in the 20s looked to me like I was going to get mugged, but everybody said it was cool. And there I was in the restaurant. They were gorgeous, uh, well-spoken, uh, well-dressed, a young waiter who was super friendly. Where are you living? And he said, Bed Stuyvesant. I said, where's that? I never heard of it, you know? He said, oh, that's in Brooklyn. Oh, we're in Brooklyn. He said, oh, it's great. I got a lot of space, da 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 I, in that same week, ran into another waiter in a different place uptown. He was living in Bed Stuyvesant. So I took a car service, went to Bed bedside, and guess what? Discovered the great secret on all up-and-coming areas, at least in the New York area, that if you want to find out what's really up-and-coming, follow the artistic crowd. Because they need cheap space at a convenient enough spot so they could get to work. And they group together to afford it. And what happens once they move in, they change the neighborhood. And so I discovered... The South Bronx got in there early. Uh, most of the neighborhoods in Brooklyn I was in way earlier than the other investors and rode those cycles up because I just would get in the habit of asking, hey, where are you living? Snooping around. And you know what I also learned in taking my little tours in these up-and-coming areas? I learned that you can't change the area during the day because all the new crowd that's living there is at work. You can't judge it. You've got to go at night when it's dark and scary because the first thing that happens are not the grocery stores or the restaurants. It's the tiny little nightclubs that are hopping at night and the street life. And that's when you see who's moving in. And that's exactly what I did. I started going at 11 to 1 a.m. tours of neighborhoods I wanted to buy in. And it gave me the beat quickly and I always, without exception, have made money with each of... Well, I shouldn't say it's not over yet. I still own all these properties. I don't have all of them. And so maybe the little sky will crack at one point, but I doubt it. But I just ride those values up because I was in there early following the right lead.
1: Barbara, are you ready for the best ever lightning round? I don't know what it is, but I'm ready. Go ahead. (laughs) First, a quick word from our sponsor. Crowdfunding. You've heard about it, and now it's time to learn about it. Our best ever sponsor, Patch of Land, is a leading expert in the crowdfunding space, and they've got all the answers to your crowdfunding questions. Go to patchofland.com forward slash best ever and grab your copy of the top ten answers to the top ten crowdfunding questions. That's P A T C H O F L E N D. dot com forward slash best ever. Best ever book you've read?
0: Uh, Wuthering Heights because it was the first book I was able to read and I was so in love with uh, Heath Rope I think it was and Heath something The dropped gorgeous hunk that it taught me to read. I laid in my bed most of the summer and got through a 320-page book, I think it was, because I just had to see if he was going to get the girl and the girl was going to get him. Loved it. Read it at
1: least 10 times. Mm -hmm. Do I need to read it, or can you tell me if he got the girl or not? Of course he got the girl. (laughs) After she turned her away, which added
0: another 100 pages, (laughs) (laughs)
1: Best ever personal growth experience and what you learned from it?
0: Probably uh, giving my and losing my voice, which I hated at the time, but thank God for that because after I got over myself, so to speak, you know, feeling the embarrassment of that, what I did is I went and uh, to NYU the next morning and suggested I teach a course on how to sell real estate. Now, that was any, of course, and it didn't take a lot of imagination. That was the only thing I knew how to do. I was in business three years. Uh, But what came out of that, the very first 10-week course uh, that I went in to teach, and I was only doing it to get over my fear of public speaking, to to practice on a little classroom and be the teacher which everyone looks up to, right? and on a subject I knew everything about, I thought at the time. So uh, that was my goal, but what I got out of that class, the first night was a short Asian woman walking up to me and saying, you know how much money I make? And I imitate her, don't worry, I'm not prejudiced. She asked me to imitate her. She calls me up just to hear her, her own imitation. And I'm like, what did you say? Do you know how much money I make? I'm like, what? And finally I was able to decode it. She was saying, do you know how much money I make? And she told me she made $240,000. In the last six months, when my top salesperson, I had an office of maybe eight or nine people, my top salesperson was making up to 50000 for the year. I thought I was hearing things. And she told me how she only sells condo to the Chinese. And by the end of those 10 weeks, I had recruited her into my company. And she became the number one salesman in New York City, Carrie Chiang, still at the corporate room, still the number one salesperson all of New York City. She's a powerhouse. Within four years, she's earning $2 million from a year. And if I hadn't gotten over myself on the speech, I maybe would have met her somewhere along the way, but I couldn't have gotten her in my clutchy hands for 10 weeks straight, you know, two hours, (laughs) twice a week, and romance the stone. You know, I have one goal, to get that woman in my shop. And uh, thank God, you know, so I would say that was one of my best mistakes ever.
1: Best ever success habit you practice.
0: Two come to mind. One is the thing I've done my whole life. Make my to-do list before I end the day. And then when I come in the morning, rate them A, B's and C's. I always want to do the C's first, which is a lovely thank you note. Or call so-and-so and say how much fun I had. <laughs> or do a little creative project, which I love to do. Those C's, because they're not going to change my life right now at work. What I label the A's are the things mostly I don't want to do, the things that have the best potential for making a change in my life, and then doing them first. I'm sure I'm not the one to discover that one. It's just a habit I've done my entire life and gets a lot done and gets me from procrastinating. You know, once the worst stuff is out of the way, the rest of the day is also more pleasurable. You know? And if I can't get it done that day for whatever reason it rolls over to an A the next day and it haunts me till I get the thing off my list. All right. But more recently, just as important, those clutter is such a oppressive obstacle to get things done today, particularly online clutter. What I've learned to do is check my emails twice a day, which was a very hard habit to create because I'm addicted to cleaning things up. Emails, texting. I want to get it done, filed out of my out of my phone, basically. But I have learned to now only check it 9.30 in the morning, and then about 1.00, 1.15 in the afternoon. And then I'll check it again before I leave work. And then to install a plug in my elevator landing where I live, because I share another apartment, and plug my phone in and not pick it up till I'm leaving for work around 7.30 the next morning. Because it was ruining my family life, my personal life, my reading, because I had to check everything before I went to bed. And it was even keeping me up at night, knowing how much I didn't get done. So getting rid of that uh, umbilical cord that I was so needy of, which happened maybe nine, ten months ago, I guess, has really made a difference in my evenings in my life.
1: Best ever deal you've done?
0: I would have to say uh, lucky deals. I mean, I got a misreferral from Merrill Lynch Relocation, which was a big company at the time I was very young building my firm. And they were sending me rental, uh, rental clients because I hustled, you know, called on these accounts to try to get their business and was successful in getting uh, lots of young kids starting banking programs, uh, engineering programs, Citibank and a few other companies I had. Now I can't remember. That's not what's important. What was important is one of the specialists at Union Carbide mistakenly gave me a for sale client. he was a young engineer. I lined up all the apartments to show them to rent, and after I showed him the first, he said, "I don't want to rent. I want to buy." Holy crap! Buy. You know, I could have said, "I don't even sell apartments. I have no listings," but I quickly switched my shoes and said. Oh, I didn't realize. Well, then you have to thoroughly know the market. And I spent from that minute till about 3.30 in the afternoon because I didn't want him hooking in with another broker if I let, let him in his hotel in Midtown too early. And so I gave him a grand tour by taxi and walked him through streets of Manhattan to tell him all about the different neighborhoods, most of which I made up because I didn't know the different neighborhoods, but I could see a lot of beatniks in Greenwich Village, a lot of young people here. Oh, this place is up and coming. <laughs> you know, you could see a enough if you open your eyes and the next day i had something to sell him i had 11 apartments to show him the very next day for sale because i called the the ads in the new york times and i accidentally discovered the best pitch you could ever imagine i have a young engineer from union Carbide who has two days to buy i'm wondering if i could show your apartment that's it <laughs> You know, And then if they said, what's he looking for? I would read back their own ad to them. He's looking for a two-bedroom in the Sutton Place area with a lot of light and a new kitchen. That sounds like my apartment. Are you kidding? Can I show it at 10? <laughs> and so I sold him an apartment the next day. He loved to buy the apartment because he felt he had gotten the grand tour of New York. He felt knowledgeable. And he snapped that apartment up, the third showing I had that morning. And you know what I do with that money? It was fifty eight thousand dollars, okay? And I was able to get a three thousand dollar commission. Now that doesn't sound like a lot, but my typical rental commission was about three hundred, so I got three thousand dollars. And with the $3,000, I went back to the office and I hired with that money my first co-op salesperson, Norma Hirsch, because I could afford to keep her on the $3,000 for six months. I could pay her ads, pay her phone, and the best move I made because she was a hot cake and was selling co-ops almost from the minute she walked in. And with that money, I hired more co-op people and I just followed that formula for the rest of my life. Any spare cash? How many people does it buy? Boom! Hire them, get them in, get them working. And it just multiplied out on itself. So that was nothing more than a lucky break.
1: Best ever project you're most excited about right now?
0: Well, I would have to say um, Shark Tank. Not real estate. I mean, I do real estate, but it's taken a back seat tremendously. Uh, Because I'm so engaged in these young entrepreneurial businesses owned by great entrepreneurs. Uh, When I discovered that I don't have a clunker, and believe me, I have my fair share of clunkers, just like you hire a lot of salespeople and you get 5 out of 20 that are fabulous and 15 out of 20 are never going to make it. Same with buying into small businesses. Same old routine. I didn't know it was a parallel until I was in it two years. But I love finding a great entrepreneur and then wrapping my arms around them and making the business big in the same way that that was the favorite part of being the head of the Corcoran Group. I loved pushing them from behind and giving them ideas and shoving them out there and building their confidence so that they could really become a superstar. And that's exactly what I'm doing now. Same old thing but I'm doing it with people who own businesses and I have an equity position. So in a way, I don't have a company and I'm not in charge, but that's okay because I have all these talented people who are in charge and I don't control the company, but that's okay because all the talented people are really good at controlling their own company. And even best of all, I'm free. I'll give them my best advice. they will listen to 10 things. they will ignore nine and do exactly what they please, which is the mark of a great entrepreneur and the mark of a great salesman. But they listen to one and I don't even have to be responsible. (laughs) (sighs)
1: Best ever way you like to give back?
0: You know what? I don't think of myself as a person who gives back. And that's the truth. Because I don't have a big charity I support. At all, I mean, I give when I'm hustled, which is probably the wrong way to give. So you won't be getting any Bill Gates uh, big trust fund out of me, uh, for sure. Okay, Um, but what I did do when I sold my business, and it wasn't my idea, I copied it from a story I heard from someone uh, that I knew through someone I knew. One of those things, and he was a very wealthy guy, and my girlfriend told me that her girlfriend's kids had all their education paid for by their grandfather because he was smart enough when he sold his business to set up a trust fund. I didn't know how trust funds work, but when I sold my corporate group for all that money, uh, I already had a trust fund set up Booker closed. And so my big give back is really truly only to my family, and that's the truth, because it's so big and they're so needy. You know, I come from a family where no one went to college except myself and the youngest in my family, my baby sister, Florence. So the second child and the tenth child went to college. No one else went to college. Half the kids in my family didn't finish high school. And you know, it's so meaningless. It didn't hurt them or get them in the, in the way at all. Uh, but I know today, it's different if you don't go to college. It's kind of like an assumed credential. So I set up a giant trust fund to pay for the next however many generations it gets through uh, for all the kids and relatives in my family to go to college and I'm happy that I finally got a doctor out of it, and I'm going to Naomi's uh, graduation from medical school in um, about three weeks, which I don't usually go to these graduations because it's a pain in the neck and they're really boring. But because she's the first doctor in the family, and I have a second one coming up behind her, I think it's something special, and I'll be at that graduation, mostly because it drained the funds so much, medical school expenses. <laughs> so I think I better sit in that seat and like get something out of it. <laughs> right, yeah,
1: soak it in a little bit. <laughs>
0: to god i'm not the most generous person and that's true
1: what would you say is the biggest mistake you've made in real estate or business
0: other than buying at the low and selling i mean buying at the high and selling low.
1: yep you
0: know i'm not trying to be brazen but i can't think because you know why what happens with mistakes or well, what happens with mistakes with me other than losing a ton of money on a real estate transaction you remember those we usually make it up somewhere else but when i think it's because they're injurious to dwell on so when I make a mistake I can give you a whole line of mistakes that I've made like um, almost going out of business twice being over leveraged so you shouldn't do that but if not for the bacula marketing ideas that made me a fortune on the heels of the failure uh, so it seems like every time I fall flat on my head and piss away a lot of money or I've made the wrong judgment um, I think they inevitably are always the best things that ever happened to me because there's always a flip side if you hang in there. You know, if you hang in there, and also if you have a big ego and you're trying to save face, you'll find a flip side because you don't want anybody to know how bad you are, you know? Embarrassment is a great motivator, peer pressure. And so, uh, so I, I don't really think of them as mistakes because what they really were, they were the, the passage to something that uh, without the duress would have never been thought about. Never happened. You know, it's a great creator of things, problems.
1: And Barbara, what's the
0: best ever place to reach you? The best there? Well, of course, anywhere. We're all connected, right? Twitter, Facebook, uh, Instagram, you name it. We're out there on it. But if you wanted to get a, like a message, the best thing to do is write to Barbara at BarbaraCorkin.com. I don't see it every day. They accumulate the messages, but I get around to it when I'm not in the air.
1: Barbara, thank you so much for being on this Best Ever show and sharing your best ever advice with Best Ever listeners. I hope it's best enough, my friend. Oh, it is. It is. Okay. <laughs> I mean, just talking about your story and how you grew up, your mom being your you know, primary role model. And really, I think this conversation was about setting people up for success and fulfillment. You know, whether it was your mom setting your family up for success and fulfillment or you passing that through your business endeavors. Whenever ultimately you sit down, you connect with people and you identify what is the best way to set them up for success. And then even more so fulfillment, because that's exactly what they love doing, because you're asking the right questions and you're asking them about it. And I just think, you know, you mentioned, you know, the, the giving back thing. But my gosh, the best way to give back is to help others your reach, their full potential, and be fulfilled along the way, and that is what you do, and that that's what this conversation was all about.
0: Well, you have to realize it's a two-way street, I must say. I mean, anything in that arena, uh, you know, well, what my mom said, I'm sure most moms say the joy is in the giving, and that kind of giving, if you're helping people out, that kind of giving versus writing a check, which is what I do better, not writing the check, but <laughs> giving back in that way, if, you, if you're if you labeling it so, um, who gets the real prize? The person who's reaching out. So I get all the satisfaction. on is great. I mean, you get paid again and again and again with psychological satisfaction. You feel fulfilled, I think. Anybody, anybody's happier giving in that way.
1: Absolutely.
0: God, it feels like a religious experience. I'm gonna hit my knees and pray the minute I hang up. <laughs> <laughs> and I haven't been in church since my mother didn't make me go, so
1: there. <laughs> there you go, well, I don't know what that means, but I'll take that as a compliment, right? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I guess so. <laughs>
1: Well, thank you so much, Barbara. And thank is there you. anything else that you wanted to mention to, to close this off? I could never
0: think of something else because you're thorough in your question.
1: So you got you got the best of me.
0: All right. Thanks, Barbara. My pleasure. Okay, bye-bye.
1: Hey, you, best ever listener. Do you want more? Then go to joefairless.com, where you'll get tons of free videos, templates, and content to help you get deals done. And remember to subscribe to the best ever show in iTunes so you can keep getting your daily dose of the best real estate investing advice ever.